Welcome back to The Road to Seven with Sheila Cummins. I am your host, Sheila Cummins, and today my guest is Kate Pepler. There is a beautiful quote by Frederick Buckner that says, Your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. And that is exactly what Kate Pepler has done with her company, The Tear Shop. Kate is the founder and owner of The Tear Shop, a package-free bulk store and coffee shop established in October 2018, now with two locations in Nova Scotia. She graduated from Halifax's Dalhousie University in 2016 with a BA in Sustainability, Environmental Science, and a minor in Marine Biology. A Toronto native who fell in love with Nova Scotia, she ran a sailing school in Bedford, then started a website where she shared environmental success stories to spur action. During this year following graduation, she entered the package-free movement and tried to find ways to reduce waste in her own life, discovering how difficult it was to do in Halifax. In addition, Kate was feeling overwhelmed with the doom and gloom narrative of our Earth's health. It was this narrative that sparked her eureka moment of creating the tear shop, which combines all of her passions, ocean sustainability, reducing plastic pollution, environmental education, and fostering community into one thriving and successful community-based business. If you're looking for inspiration or you want to hear the story of a woman who has literally combined her passion and her purpose with a highly profitable business, then this is the interview for you. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. I learned about my guest today, Kate, through the CEO Network. And if you haven't connected with CEO. It's a really neat platform that's funding some really neat women running some really neat businesses that are changing the world. And Kate Pepler was one of the women who received funding for her shop, The Tear. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're welcome. It's our pleasure. Tell us a little bit about how The Tear, first off, what it is and how it came to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Tear Shop is a package-free grocery store. We opened in October of 2018 and just over three years now. And it all started, I had graduated from university. I went to Dalhousie where I studied sustainability, environmental science, and I ended up declaring marine bio as my minor. And after graduating, I was really overwhelmed with the state of the world. But like I had spent five years studying all the ways in which we are just destroying the world. And I didn't really know what I could do to make a difference or how I can make an impact. So I started reading about the zero waste movement and made steps in my own life to reduce my own plastic consumption. And it was hard to do in Halifax. 
There was nowhere that made it easy and accessible. I was seasonally employed, so I spent my off season, I cut sailing, and in the winters, I'd be running around to a bunch of different grocery stores trying to get different things without packaging or the most packaging possible. And that's kind of what sparked the idea for the chair shop through my own difficulties and frustrations of not being able to access everything I wanted without plastic. I thought if I was trying to do this, there must be other people who were also trying to reduce their weight. And I'd probably spend a year thinking about the business plan, putting it down, being like, who am I to start a business? I didn't go to business school. I've never owned a business before. Who do I think I am trying to do this? So through a lot of like self-dev, but also reflection and talking to other people, I realized that a lot of business owners don't come from a business background. And regardless, even if you do, there's still a ton of learning on the job. So I flipped that narrative to why not me and announced the business in January of 2018 with the goal to open the tear shop in October in the fall, which I did, which is incredible. And then in January of this year, 2021, we opened our second location in downtown Dutch, right across the heart. Oh, wow. Well, that was actually my question is, but the other thing I also want to bring to light is you also have an e-commerce store. Mm-hmm. Did yeah, that come simultaneously with your brick and mortar? It did, yeah. So right from the beginning, even before we opened our first location, I started selling online and doing pop-ups. So a lot of local businesses and my old university hosted me to do pop-ups where I could start spreading the word about the chair shop, what it would be, um, what the community wanted from it, and started selling online so that people could start purchasing products already and just like help with cash flow early on, which was a really good idea. So the e-com came first and then the first brick and mortar. Kate, did you bootstrap that whole thing? Did Were you self-funded or did you receive outside funding? I got funding through BDC and Futurepreneur. They kind of do like combo funding, which is, which is really helpful. Tell us a little um, bit about what combo funding is. Yeah. So they support each other. They kind of go in together on, on business ideas or entrepreneurs that they think will be a success. And Futurepreneur funds People, I believe it's like 18 to 39 and BDC Business Development Bank of Canada. Yeah, so they kind of have a good relationship and go in to support businesses together that they that they believe in. It's really great. And so did they give you a loan right off the top? Yeah. Yeah. So I got a loan from each of those, a family loan, and then my own personal investment as well as we crowdfunded. We ended up, I think it was 12,000 we ended up raising. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. And and so when you sort of, where did your first round of investment go? Where, you know, you got all these loans, all of a sudden, you know, your name signed in a lot of different places. Where did you put that money? Great question. A lot of it into inventory and a lot of it into the construction of the brick and mortar. So there was a lot of selling we needed to be built, we needed to transform office space into a cafe retail space that meant using all of the plumbing and electrical purchasing equipment like fridges and dishwashers and peanut butter machines and yeah so yeah a lot of it went into the i'd say the majority went into the construction when we opened when i opened the first door i started with just 40 bulk products like your own peanut butter flour like basic things that most people may need and then grew our products based on customer requests so that that way I wasn't bringing in stuff that people didn't want. I was bringing in what the community wanted and was asking for. So even to this day, that's, to this day, that's how we decide on new products. We listen to our community. 
and bring in what they want. Oh gosh, there's so many lessons just in that sentence alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's proven to work really well for us. We've only had a handful of things that we've discontinued because they weren't popular, but everything else has been, has worked out and has proven, that's proven to be a great way for us to operate. Fantastic. So when you started, you know, you get these loans, all of a sudden you owe all this money. All the money's going out, being funneled into not only your inventory, but all your construction costs. How long did it take for your company to be able to start earning enough to start paying back the loans? With both Futurepreneur and BDC, you do a year of just interest payments, and then the principal starts a year after the loan did work, which was a huge help and definitely made it much easier on my cash flow. To get these loans, you'd have to do uh, cash flow projections typically for three years. So I had done all of those and, and knew what we needed to be making. And pretty much right off the bat, it was going way better than I thought it would be going financially. It definitely seemed like there had been a lot of people who wanted to do this and shop this way and live differently. It just wasn't possible or too difficult. So there was a ton of people who were already doing it and taking, making the extra effort. And a lot of people like in the queue waiting to be able to start shopping this way, which I didn't anticipate. And that immediate success is so incredible, but also so overwhelming. So I want to ask you about the overwhelm. So let me ask you about that. And then I have another question related to how you sort of created the buzz about your store. So tell me about the the overwhelm of opening a store and having huge success right off the top. Kind of foolishly, I was working over full time. I was working, running the sound school still. So I was working probably like 60 to 80 hours a week in the summer leading up to store opening in October. Oh, hang on a second. So you were working full time while you were launching the tear shop. Yes, I was. Definitely adds to the overwhelm. Yeah. So I was working like 60 to 80 hours a week for the four months leading up to the store opening on top of the construction. I was personally doing the construction, but I helped with bits of it and all of yeah, the stuff that comes with opening a business. So I went into the craziest time of the business already pretty burnt out. And at the beginning, when you open a business, you want to you do need to be there. So I was there 12 hours a day, six to seven days a week. Even on my days off, I'd like go there for coffee, go check in on things. Your baby, it's so hard to, to walk away from it even for a day. And everything was so new. We it was the first business of its kind in Nova Scotia. So there was no template for how it would work. So we were figuring out a lot of stuff on the go as a team. I started with four staff. And within the first four months, January, I got super burnt out. I got the flu really bad, passed it on to my staff because I worked through it and ended up having to close the store for a couple of days because everybody was sick and there was nobody to go in, which was a really big lesson for me. Like if you kill yourself, you can't run your business. And so, yeah, I've gotten much better at taking time off, listening to myself when I need a break, recognizing the burnout sign from being in and pumping the brakes when I need to. Who were your first four hires? Not what their names were, but what was yeah. the class that you hired? Yeah, we were, I had hired four baristas and like retail staff. So we were all making drinks. We were all working the floor, doing the restocking. So we don't have like folks who are just in the stock room. We're just front of house. We kind of all do it all, which I like because then you're, nobody's getting burnt out. It's just one being in the basement all day filling jars. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's smart. How did you train them? Yeah. 
How did you know how to train them? Very funny question. When we, when I brought the staff in for like the first training day, our like POS system still wasn't set up yet. Point of sale system wasn't set up yet. The store still needed to be painted. We didn't have a lot of our product or jars yet. I was like, I have no idea how any of this is going to work. I guess we should paint and clean. So we like talked a bit about what a door would be. And so yeah, we ended up painting and cleaning and there was a lot of learning on the go. Yeah. Thinking about how we did things when we first opened is really hilarious looking back now. Like all the products in our point of sale system and then a sheet of paper with the prices instead of I don't think at that time Square could do like price per kilogram. It had to be a unit, like one unit of almonds. So we were typing in that we're doing the math all by hand. Now we're not doing that. We have about 300 products. That would be insane to do. That would be insane. Can you imagine? But I'd love how you just kept going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we opened, we didn't have a table for the cafe yet. That still hadn't been filled. We were still missing a ton of stuff, but it's open when you're not quite ready or sit on a bunch of inventory, can't pay your stuff yet. So when we opened, when we maybe should have waited a couple of days, but we did it and made it work. And look at you now. And so, you know, I think that there's such a valuable lesson in there of, you know, sometimes you just got to start flying the plane and trust that you'll be able to build the plane as it's flying. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing will ever be perfect. There's always going to be kinks to work out. There's you're always going to be learning and adapting and growing. So yeah, just go for it and just do it. <laughs> I love that. Now, how did you create the buzz so that people knew that your store was going to be open? Because I see, you know, I've worked with a couple of retailers and they just sort of are keeping their, their company under wraps. It's like they want it to be this big secret. And then they open their doors and they're like, yeah, but where are all the people? So how did you create that buzz so that the moment you were open, you had people coming in and buying? So great question. And I think that is a mistake that a lot of people do. And there's definitely done things I kept to myself. But I like showed people the construction process and showed like we started the Instagram account in January. It's how I announced the business. and. Like from day one, I was asking folks a question and I used that as my market research to write uh, my business plan as well. So I'd ask people like, how much do you spend on grocery, on like bulk groceries? How often do you grocery shop? And um, how far do you go to grocery shop? So it's doing that market research through our social media before opening. And by doing the pop-up, a lot of events, I book at a lot of events leading up to it as well. And like sharing our, our social media page, the process, I think that really helped drive excitement and awareness about the business. And it was also just a really timely, like I couldn't have paid somebody for the amount of publicity we got. 2018 it was like the buzzword was zero waste and the buzzword was plastic free and stop repeat single use plastic. And when we opened or right before the week before we opened the G7 was in Halifax and the whole focus of the summit was reduction of single or yeah, reduction of single use plastic. And I was invited to the table of the event. And that definitely was a huge, huge help that spread my business to a lot of different people who maybe weren't on social media or just here for the, for the summit and really helped. And there was a lot of media there too and helped gain traction. And honestly, like at the beginning, it felt like I was on the news at least twice a week. Like every single time there was any like mention of plastic in the news, I would get calls to be, to speak to the issue. So it was a ton of. Publicity. It was just the timing of the business was perfect. Was that planned? So unintentional. 
And so then how did so unintentional? Yeah. But but I think that often it is unintentional, but what enabled you or how did they find you? Was it through your Instagram account? Through social media. Yeah. We were very active social media, even from, from the beginning, a very active social media platform. Yeah. Just saying yes to every single media request, saying yes to everything that came my way in order just to spread the word about it. Yeah, right on. So then, you know, you opened the second location across the river, across the the harbor, thank you, in in Dartmouth. What did you do differently that time? What did you do differently the second time versus the first? Opening in January was not my plan. I really wanted to open before the holiday season, but that just wasn't possible with COVID, there was construction delays with the permits took three times as long to get. There was material shortages. It just wasn't possible to open before the holiday season. So opening in January in the middle of a pandemic with lockdowns and mini lockdowns and lockdowns and lockdowns and lockdowns was really, really hard. And it still is like, it's still really hard work. With the first door, so much of the success right away was the amount of like public engagement and events and outreach that I did, which just isn't possible in the middle of a pandemic when people are told not to leave the houses. And I think I was a little bit naive. I was like, it's so successful in Halifax. It's going to just be like right at the gate. It's going to be the same. And it definitely isn't and wasn't. But we're getting there and there's more and more people learn about it and come to us and, and in the summer thing come down with COVID here um, and things have been opening up, been able to do more events and more outreach, which has been great to, again, gain that traction and that awareness. That's amazing. And so let's talk about March 2020, when the world came to a grinding halt. Your store had been open for, if I do the math correctly, just a year and a half. Right. A year and a half, your store's been opened. Now you did already have e-commerce as an option. Yeah. How many of your people who would have normally come into the store shifted to e-com or how did you sort of manage that COVID shift when your store couldn't be open or could you stay open because you were a food store? Yeah, we are a grocery store. So we are, were able to stay open. So as the world was shutting down in March 2020, I was in Toronto at the CEO summit, got back a day or two before everything shut down. And we stayed open for a couple of days. I think we closed on the Tuesday was the last day that we were open. And it was so scary. It's so wild looking back at that time. It just seems so boring right now, knowing what we know. But everything was so scary and so unknown. Most of my staff weren't comfortable working. And I also wasn't comfortable asking people to work, customer facing when everything was so unknown. So I ended up laying everybody off so that they could collect third. And I took two weeks. A week I spent in bed crying and then a week being like, okay, game plan. How can we still serve the community? How can we still survive this? So ended up doing switching to stopping by appointments. So it was just myself and one other customer in the store at a time. I did all of the films for them. They just stood far away from me and I did all of their films for them. And then by April, end of April, somebody was comfortable to come back to do not customer facing stuff. So I've been doing all of the customer stuff, all of the cleaning, all of the restocking, all the ordering, everything, um, which was way too much. So then we came back and started doing all of the behind the scenes stuff, which was a huge help. And then somebody else was comfortable to come back in to do customer facing. So we opened up for more shopping by appointment. And then as things 
slowly opened up even more and more and more. We felt safer. We opened our door again for shopping in store. And at the beginning as well, so we had the e-commerce, but only for our lifestyle products and no food items. So that was also a huge effort to get all of our bulk products online and figure out what systems to use. And I made so many mistakes and still pay. I think for some of those, I was pressured into switching to um, a different web host. From, we were on Shopify, pressured to leave because of our inventory issues, because we have almonds in store. We sell them per kilogram, but online, you can't. You don't want somebody to have to buy a kilogram of almonds. Well, it's high metric, something like that. Like nobody needs to guess like a apocalyptic yes. shopping. Alone, but exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we had some inventory issues just with like because of the nature of the store. And so we're now going to switch back to Shopify. Still not perfect, as nothing ever is. Yeah. So what were some of the biggest mistakes? Like I heard you say you shifted e-com platforms, which is a huge undertaking, especially when you're currently selling and you got to be training people to a new system. What were some of the other mistakes that have really helped you learn? Mm. I think the biggest lesson is just like crafting yourself and I jump learned how to go through this again, but like knowing when to call quick to drop something that's not working, knowing when something is working, you need to need to like hold on. You know, you're the expert in your business. You know what you're talking about and you know what you're doing. I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned through owning a business. And you know what? Those are not the lessons that they teach in business school. No. And yet those are the best, the lessons that we all as women business owners need to be learning <laughs> and need to be understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think even learning like through the CEO part of you get funding, but also the, a big part of it is coaching that you get. So through that, like I've learned my negotiating style and is very, um, with the opposite of the sort of very passive, my negotiating style and a big pushover and. There's times when that's needed and there's other times where I need to be more assertive and, and trust in myself and my decision. So I'm still working on being more assertive when, when needed. I love it. I love it. I think we all yeah. need to practice to be able to play both sides <laughs> of that coin, right? Because there's a place in negotiation for both. Absolutely. There is. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I've got two more questions and I'm going to let you get back to it. The first question is, you kind of have already answered it, but I suspect you have another little gem hiding in there. And it's, what is it that you know now that you wished you had known when you started the tear shop? That's a really good question. Hire professionals. There are people who are paid to do what they do because they know how to do it well, like lawyers and accountants, bookkeepers. So those are things that you shouldn't skimp on. Mm-hmm. Take your pennies. It will bite you in the butt. <laughs> I love it. And then tell us what's next for the tear shop. I think right now just focusing on the two locations and focusing on getting them both back to where they would be in a non-COVID world. But it's hard not to, not to dream and plan and think about where third tear shop would, could go, what model that would be. Like, would I franchise? Would I own them all? Yeah, so many unknowns trying to stay focused on getting the two where they need to be. Oh, that's amazing. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your journey today. I think there's so many nuggets in there from trusting yourself to just getting started and knowing that you'll be able to figure it out to, you know, sort of, I I think what I really enjoy about how you sort of talk about your journey is you just go with the flow. 
you know, like, oh, I made a mistake. Okay, now I'm going to just pull up my socks and now let's keep going. And I think that that's really valuable for people that are in the growth phase because we are going to make mistakes. Yeah, nothing ever works out as it said. Yeah. There's always hiccups along the way. You have a plan and you're like, it's going to work this way. And it's the complete opposite. You, yeah, you do really just have to learn how to go with the flow. And I hate the word pivot now, but <laughs> adapt and be flexible. Well, amazing. I wish you much success in your future growth. Really excited to be watching you as you go. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Road to Seven. If you found value in what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. You might just get a shout-out on an upcoming episode, and you never know when I'm going to be mailing some surprise treats to our reviewers. Make sure to subscribe so you automatically get notified when new episodes are released. Are you looking for a way to connect with other entrepreneurs that are facing the same challenges as you? I'd love to connect with you in the Road to 7 Facebook group on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just head to SheilaCummins.com. You will find all the links that you need right there. Together, we'll explore more ways to support your shift into action so that you can grow your business to finally match your vision. I love aligning your vision of success with strategic and intentional actions because that is how we will grow your business to match your vision. I focus on women, all women, because women hold the keys and the power to creating a powerful and positive world through their impact. We'll see you on the next episode.